to the Daddy Pod with me, James Daddy Pod. And before I tell you about this exciting special guest, I'd just like to gently nudge you. Um, although I hate the concept of nudging. Um, support my Patreon. It's bloody great. And um, I will get even better for you and do more exciting things for you if you support me. And also it frees me from the evil world where people like me are closed down by the left. Anyway, this week's special guest, or this day's special guest, because I'm being so prolific with my podcast these days, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm like the, the Ferrero Rocher ambassador, is Alistair Hames. Welcome to the podcast, Alistair. Hi, James. Very nice to meet you. Very nice to be on the pod. And Alistair, I've been I've been following Alistair's stuff for quite a while. Alistair is you you work you work in finance mainly. You're not you're not you're not a, a journalist. I'm not a journalist at all. No, I'm, I've been working in finance uh, since 1997, and I have not been on Twitter until about two months ago. And I wrote my first few uh, bits of journalism about a month ago. And the moment lockdown's lifted, I'm off Twitter, off journalism, and back to the day job. So. D- you're almost like a normie who's been red pilled. <laughs> I am. Like a, I always thought the blue pill sound more fun from what I hear, but uh, yeah, no, I, I've, I've been I've been working in numbers nonstop since '97, uh, like I say. And as soon as this story broke, you know, it's uh, it, so many things didn't make sense. I thought I just have to try and get try and get um, my views out there a little bit. But yeah, the moment this is lifted, uh, I'm off. Well, well, welcome briefly to to, to my world. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't blame you for wanting to flee back to normie world when it's all over. We're talking, of course, about the, I still don't know what the phrase is, the plandemic. Um, the shamdemic. The shamdemic, the... the, the uh, by the way, now we we are putting off people. I, somebody, somebody the other day, I I, I saw on on Twitter, Hel- Helena Morrissey had had tweeted out the interview that we did, and somebody somebody had, had grumbled in the comments below. I didn't get past like a dose of no worse than a dose of bad flu. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you know if you if you if you are what I would call a COVID bedwetter, this is probably not the podcast for you if you want your your terror panic confirmed um but it is for you if you want to learn about the truth and Alistair you've been even though you're a you're a sort of civilian in this you've you've been writing some really good articles explaining why what seemed at first like a really scary thing like maybe Mm -hmm. even the new Spanish flu Mm -hmm. when the first stories started coming out from Wuhan absolutely rumors but that's not how it's transpired. So give us a sort of tour d'horizon of of what's been happening. Okay, so I, I completely agree with you actually there, James. I think up until about mid-March, I was seriously worried and I thought, is this the next Spanish flu? Is it the disease X? Uh, as soon as you turn the news on, it was the pictures from Wuhan of people being welded into apartments and fumigators in the streets. And then, of course, when it hit Italy, you know, the overflowing wards... Uh, the stories of the you know, the intubations, and it was all very, very harrowing. All these words we learned, like, th- that were not in our vocabulary, and suddenly intubation became... Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I put lots of graphs on Twitter, as you know, and I, I get told off for not doing log Y axes from people I know very well didn't know the word logarithmic or exponential. You know, we're all experts in different types of antibodies and T-cells, CD4+, plus killer cells, and God, we've all become armchair epidemiologists, and I think we're all looking forward oh, to forgetting yes. it all. What, and what's the one about when you, you catch it in hospital? Nosocomial. Nosocomial. Or iatrogenic. 
Yeah, I, I knew I knew about okay. iatrogenic, nosocomial, but uh, yes. nosocomial, fantastic, That's great, yeah, not worth much in Scrabble with so many you know, low-scoring letters, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so but mid, up to about mid-March, I thought this is actually properly scary. Um, and then when they started doing the number ten press briefings and actually started giving us some numbers, I think it became pretty clear pretty quickly that it actually wasn't what we were being told. And um, just to rewind to what you were saying five minutes ago, is I think people get outraged if you compare it to a flu. And that's because people say it's just flu. But actually, there's no just about it. You know, flu kills on average about 20,000 people a year in this country. How many? Uh, 20,000? I think it's about 17,000 in England. And so it's not far off 20,000 in the UK, just mm-hmm. to put, just to put you know, COVID in a bit of context. Mm-hmm. Every death's a tragedy for sure, but you have to put the numbers in some kind of context at some point. And, you know, 1968 flu killed 80,000 in the UK. There was no disruption whatsoever to people's normal life. And in fact, my parents don't even remember the 1968 flu. Woodstock went ahead. Uh, and in fact, if you adjust for population, at the moment, COVID is a, a lesser killer than 2000 flu. And from what I remember, nobody talked about flu back in 2000. The millennium wasn't cancelled and Boris Johnson was singing along with everyone else in the Millennium Dome, which is the ultimate super spreader event. So I just, although every number is... is, is Sorry, hold on, let me just get rid of that. Um, um, should I stop? Okay, somebody's answered it. Somebody's answered it. Great. Yeah. Yep. Carry on? Yeah, carry on, yeah. Uh, so we just think people need to put some kind of context on the numbers. And the problem is that I don't think we're very well, as a species, uh, we're not very well set up to put a lot of these numbers in context because they're, so, they're just so enormous. Uh, and so I've because I work with numbers all day, every day, yeah. and I'm, I'm, you know, my day job is seeing patterns in numbers. I just felt it would, it would be kind of useful for people to kind of explain in, in articles why this particular number doesn't make sense or should be put in context of that number, and why you know the, the, the pattern would imply that things were going to get better, even when the politicians in the press conference were telling us they they weren't going to get better. So let let me help you to spell it out, so because I think it's probably quite shocking. So. We're up to what in t- of deaths, excess deaths? So I think we're up to about um, 60,000, uh, just in round numbers, because you have to talk about what the excess is over. But when the ONS says excess, they mean over a five-year average. Right. So we're up to something like, in round terms, 60,000 in England and Wales. And of those, uh, about 45,000 are people dying with covid not necessarily of COVID, but yeah. with COVID. And I think most of them probably are dying of COVID, if you believe the ONS. Uh, and the what they call the what, what um, Chris Whitty called the indirect deaths, which you or I might call the lockdown deaths, yeah. is up to about 14,000. So in other words, that's people over and above the average numbers dying, but who don't have, um, don't have COVID at the point they die. Right. And so compare that with where well, you said 2000 was a bad... 2000 was a very comparable year in terms of the number of people who died over winter. Right. So normally with a flu, they, this is what's so unusual about this, James, is every year, as far, as far back as I can get the ONS statistics, these respiratory viral diseases, they come like clockwork from beginning of December roughly, yeah. and they peak in about the second week of January-ish. But every year is exactly the same pattern. So what's really unusual about COVID is that it came in at the end of March 
and into May. So if you look at things versus the average, this looks absolutely horrendous because normally spring is a very low death point of the year. But, you know, I've done a graph I put on Twitter every week where you literally just delete the COVID deaths from March and April and tack them back on to December uh, December and January. And this would be a, a bad but not a remarkable flu year. This is why it looks so bad is because of the timing. I think I read that at first at Hector Drummond's site, didn't I? Did you yes. write it there? I did, yeah. I think it was called The Virus That Missed the Train or something like that. But yeah, it, 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 it stands out like a sore thumb, actually. And in particular, just like um, Knut Wyckowski uh, pointed out on YouTube before they took his videos down, mm-hmm. these respiratory viral diseases, they come along, they last two or three months and they leave. And the, the pattern of COVID is exactly the same as the flus we have every year. Yes, what's the, there is a name for it, isn't there, the, 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 the bell curve that they, they what's it called? Uh, Gompertz, a Gompertz distribution. Oh no, I was thinking of something else, that somebody, some particularly relating to viruses. Uh, well, there's an epidemic curve, yeah. No, but it's named after somebody, and, and, I, and I'm going to kick myself afterwards because I'm going to look at your article. And <laughs> okay. Yeah, because it because we love we love these labels, don't we? Oh, it absolutely. Us, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a sigmoid curve. There's a Gompertz curve. There's a there's a Gaussian maybe. Gaussian. That's the normal yeah, bell curve. Yeah, I've heard about this Gaussian distribution. Yeah, that's really. the that's, that's the normal bell curve, which is symmetrical, whereas for various reasons, this one, uh, the right hand shoulder slopes about twice as slowly as the left hand shoulder. Yes. Why does it do that? That is a very, very good question. And Twitter is absolutely alive with debate about why that is. My person, I said this is an absolute personal theory, but my guess is that initially when it strikes this virus, and most of us haven't been exposed to it before, a lot of the old and the frail who it's particularly knocking over will tend to die quite quickly, sadly. Whereas, and you get to the peak quite quickly, but a lot of people can be kept ventilated and in sort of suspended animation for a long, long time before they eventually succumb. So you would expect it to be asymmetric. That's my pet theory, and it might not. There might be a much cleverer reason which immunologists will uh, be able to explain to you. Be, we're going to get so many complaints if you're wrong. People are Fantastic. just going to say, "I don't know why this. Why do you have this stupid, ignorant bastard on? The, <laughs> he didn't understand at all about the slope of the shoulder." Oh. They're going to say because that's the kind yeah. of listener we attract. Absolutely, yeah. Well, one thing I've never done is try to predict. I've put no forecasts or predictions anywhere. Mm. The, the height of my analysis normally is putting a line through existing data. So uh, in that sense, I'm not doing Neil Ferguson's job of trying to predict things. Um, one of the, the points in one of the excellent pieces you wrote for The Critic you made um, was that, you, or maybe it was for The Spectator actually, you showed this completely fake graph that I think the BBC had used to indicate that, that once the lockdown had been brought in, the numbers of, in, the infection rate had collapsed. And this, I, I think it was an entirely artificial artifact. I don't think there was any relationship with the reality. Um, yeah. But actually, am I right in thinking that we'd already reached the peak before the lockdown? Well, yes. So, that, so there's two things you've raised there. One is, that's the graph of the, of the R number, right. which when uh, Imperial published, I can't remember which number report, but it's the, the impact of their non-pharmaceutical interventions their model, which I've run on my home computer and I've checked all the output, it does actually produce a sloping curve. Mm-hmm. But when they publish their paper, they put these very sharp divisions between each intervention to make it look as though it could only be the interventions that had made the difference. <gasps> and it's it's a sham. And if you actually go to the death data, which it runs off, it actually makes a very, very smooth curve. Not only a smooth curve, but the identical curve to Sweden, which hasn't had a lockdown. 
are you saying they've been actually torturing the data to make it to, to, to make it look they, they've their, their model uh, calculates the data correctly but it's the the graph which they generate from the data I think is plain misleading right and in fact they came out with a new um, a, a, based on the same model they came out with a new paper a few days ago and it really shows the sham for what it is because the point at which there's a, a cliff edge collapse in that R number that we were going to worship these days yeah. for Sweden of course Sweden hasn't locked down so they mm. couldn't put the lockdown label so they say oh that's when they banned mass gatherings right. for every other country the ban mass gatherings makes no difference so you can, I mean, the, the emperor's clothes are, you know, on on, on plain display there. Um, so yeah, that, that, on the on the on the R number, that is just, uh, I, I think it's completely misleading how they've represented what their own model has as, as an output. So I forgot. There's a second question which I've already forgotten. Um, well, you, well, yes, you said there were there were two things raised, and I don't know what they were. <laughs> so well, you can come you can come back to it if if you, um, you've presumably read and, and probably written about this theory which various people have have, uh, have advanced which is that actually whether you have a lockdown or you don't do anything mm. it actually makes very little difference that these difference that 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 COVID-19 has a natural trajectory and it forms the same shape regardless yeah. is that true that's true and it reminds me what your second question was was that did it peak before lockdown yes and I think you have to absolutely torture the data before you can see infections peaking off uh, after lockdown uh, and in fact there's a really good paper came out from a, uh, un a professor of maths at bristol university uh, simon wood uh, a few weeks ago which makes this point and he's a proper chops modeler i mean prof you know, professor of uh, mathematics and you have to really torture the data to to see uh, to see it coming after lockdown and not only that i mean if lockdown was the game changer then countries that haven't locked down to any substantial extent, like Sweden and like uh, Japan, they would be necropolises by now. And they're not. In fact, they, Sweden is on the same curve as us, but with fewer deaths per capita. And Japan has barely been touched by coronavirus. So, you know, it, it, all this fuss about modelling. I mean, I spend all day modelling for my day job. So yeah. it's, it's not like I'm an anti-modeller. But there's more to science than just models. I mean, there's controls. We've got two controls there in Sweden and in Japan. And if the lockdown hypothesis was correct, you know, we'd see it there in that they should have multiples of the deaths that we have and we haven't and they haven't. So that is enough to prove, to my mind, that it's not lockdown. Although it's quite interesting, isn't it? And you've just been, we're gonna, we'll talk about this later, but you've been reading my book, Watermelons. Hmm. And you've recognised a lot of similarities between what's going on now and what was happening, what is happening with the, the whole climate change thing. And what you will find is that these people, rather than fessing up to their mistake, um, for example, in this case, looking at Sweden and, and Japan and saying, well, we see that our predictions of what uh, our modelling of lockdowns and so on were, were, were based on a false assumption. Mm. Um, but in the same way, when, for example, we had... Uh, the pause or when we we had periods of, of global cooling, what you find is that they're very good at explaining why the models are right and that reality is behaving in a particular way because of another factor that they hadn't mentioned before. For mm. example, particles, which are having an effect on the climate, but actually their theory is, is still right, even though the, the real-world observations seem to prove them wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you start off with a prior assumption, yeah. you can torture the data just about and make it fit a theory. So, yeah. I mean, the prior assumption for, um, for, the, for, the, for warming, I guess, would be 
humans create lots of carbon dioxide, yeah. carbon dioxide creates warming, and then you have to look at the data to make the prior assumption look right. And it's just the same with COVID. You, know, you say lockdown, stop it. Yeah. So then when we look at the data, we must be able to see that lockdown, stop it. Whereas yeah. if you just start with the data itself, that isn't the story that the data tells. Yes. You know, if you, if you, if you try and ignore the assumption. So for example, if you just looked at the data and you did a kind of a pin the tail on the donkey and said, you know, show me where you think lockdown came in. Mm. You know, I've done this on Twitter. I've covered up the dates and said, where do you think it was? And no one gets it right. Or I've put up graphs of Sweden versus UK. I said, one of these countries has a lockdown, one hasn't, you know, and the polls, in fact, 55% of people put it wrong, I think. Yes. So if you start from the data, you get a totally different uh, result than if you start from the theory. So in terms of, Worst policy disasters in history. <laughs> I mean, in in inside or outside wartime. Yeah, is there anything comparable to what's happened in the world today? It's it's quite well. I mean, I, you need to ask a historian that. I think we're well past Suez, aren't we? We're we're probably kind of appease, appeasement levels of awfulness, uh, with the slight difference that we were then kind of rescued by Churchill, and this time we've got Johnson. Oh, but yeah, but you're talking about about the UK, the British experience. Uh -huh. But this has been repeated across the world. I mean, we've got exceptions. We've got, okay, so we've got Bolsonaro in Brazil, yeah. who who continues to maintain heroically, I think, given the, the grief he gets from the international media, that this is a, this is a, well, a shamdemic. Yeah. And, and, and whenever I read, in, in papers like The Telegraph, mm. I read sort of stories about bodies piling up on the streets or implying that. Mm. There's a piece about about Bolsonaro's economic policy and, and how people were really raising doubts about Brazil's economic future. And I read the piece, and actually, it was just an attack on his scepticism about COVID-19, which mm. had nothing to do with economics at all. Um, what else? We've got those hero, heroes at Belarus. Um, yeah. We've got, you know, we've got a few countries. Um, and who Sweden. Are, and Mitegno, you know, Sweden. Legend. Sweden. But, but generally, this is a, this is a, a global disaster yeah and okay so you're in finance you must have an inkling about the world of pain coming our way as a result of this policy it's not it's not looking good in fact uh the we, we're recording this on the um, 12th of june and it was this morning that they uh, showed the gdp number down down 12 percent uh, 20 percent rather in a month I mean, I, th I think I don't think we ever had a point in the 08 crash where it went below six percent. Yeah, you know, if we if we keep this up for another month, it looks like we're going to be worse than anything since the 1700s, and completely self-inflicted. Uh, what's what's I, I I come back to the British decision slightly, in that I do think it's when Ferguson came up with his number in Sage. Mm. I do feel that's also what triggered the collapse of um, Trump's confidence uh, in America. Totally. That, 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 you know, the, the bad news spread across the Atlantic and it was such a wall of bad news that you know, he went from Democrat hoax to, um, you know, maximum maximum fear porn, you know, like a kind of a taxi turning, turning on a dime. There was that and there was the famous, the famous trip to Mar-a-Lago by Tucker Carlson. Mm. And Tucker Carlson was... I mean, Tucker's great. He's I, had a good war. He's had a good war. Um, Although they're losing advertisers pretty quick, I think. Well, they are. Yeah. What, but where are we going to go for our Tucker fix if 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 he gets driven out of Patreon? <laughs> Page. Oh my God, he's going to be so. What a Patreon that will be. I mean, it, it will actually eclipse mine, I, and I, and I say that. Well, I think my patrons are bloody good. Get more people onto Patreon, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it, well, it's true. So, 
But he went on on his famous trip to to Mar-a-Lago to tell President Trump, you know, the optics aren't necessarily looking good if this turns out to be really bad. Yeah. And you're talking about it being a kind of Democrat invention mm. um although in, in a way we, one wonders whether with hindsight perhaps tucker's visit was a mistake and actually america would be doing probably really well if mm. if if it's difficult in the early stages though i mean in, in sort of in mid-march that would have been a huge call a ballsy, for johnson yeah, ballsy yeah. in a brilliant way but it would have been humongously ballsy for johnson or trump to say oh, no i'm pretty confident it's it's, it's a sham we're not going to yeah. do anything i i i mean if i were tyrant which, you know, I'm probably probably not going to be. But if I were tyrant, back in mid-March, I actually think I probably would have called that first lockdown, just the first one, just while you build a bit of capacity and just wait to see how the story yeah, pans yeah. out. Yeah, okay, so you'd have, you'd have hedged. Kind I'd, of have, of I'd have hedged, and then, but I wouldn't have renewed it. Yeah, uh, so we'd have had, what, three weeks? Three weeks, yeah. Three weeks of lovely sunshine. Kids were it was breaking lovely. up anyway. And, um, you know, it's like, a, it's like someone's written the tragedy, you know. Johnson got ill. Rab probably didn't have the authority to lift it, and then you're into another three weeks, and then by then people are so petrified that the opinion polls show that people love the lockdown, and the whole thing is gathered up. It's, it's it's sort of fed on itself to become the story it's become. And where has Gove been in all this? What has Gove been doing? Do you think he's been maneuver on maneuvers, biding his time? I don't. I mean, it's. I, I always thought he was kind of a voice of sanity uh, inside the quad, and then. He's basically been silent until this morning, apparently, saying that uh, we're going to allow um, EU traffic in without the same checks that the EU will be doing on our checks, so on our, on our goods going over there. So I think that's the first thing I've heard from Gove for he's weeks a, and weeks. He's an operator. You know, you know Gove listens to this, this pod when he goes running. I'm a huge fan of, of Michael Gove, I have to say. Oh, you see, the thing is, uh, I even when he does things that I fearfully disapprove of, for example, his stuff on climate change, which, you know, he's, he's brought into the, the green blob and, and he's completely wrong and he should bloody well know this. Mm. But I love him. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's my friend and he will stay my friend and that's, that's how it goes. People say, how can you be friends with that vile, whatever they want to call him? Mm. But sometimes... Sometimes you stay loyal to friends because you love them. And also, you, 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 I mean, he's so articulate and intelligent. You want him inside and the funny. tent. Yeah, and funny, yeah. He's yeah. very funny. He does the best off-the-cuff speech that anyone... You know, he, you know, Boris, is, Boris is, is praised for his, his kind of speeches and oratory and his bluff, kind of amusing, bumbling persona. But Gove, is, Gove, Gove wipes the floor with him as a, mm. as a, as a speaker. Although, but I want to, I want to reiterate... I do not approve of Gove's sucking up to the green blob. That's that's um, it's poor. It is poor. But um, so we've talked about briefly about the economic impact, which I think you you characterised as what ten to fifteen Brexit, Brexit bills. Yeah. Brexit well, bills. The, the, the Treasury was saying a few weeks ago that they were they were they were fearing it was going to be somewhere north of three hundred billion pounds. Uh, of deficit over and above what they'd expected before the before the panic. Right. You know, I think round numbers. I think the, the Brexit bill is is something around thirty five billion, uh, and they had a, they had a worst case of up to five hundred billion of excess deficit. So that's about ten to fifteen. Um, that's about ten to fifteen Brexit bills, and as well as the costs of furlough and all the all the support. You know, we're actually losing 
uh, something like four billion pounds of lost output a day, I believe. So it does. It works out roughly a Brexit bill a week mm. that, that we're kind of this this lockdown is costing us while we dribble on. You know, talking about a three or four week review cycle. I mean, it should be. I think every day there should be some. There should be like a sort of a dead man's handle on this legislation. That every yeah. day it needs to be uh, it needs to be kind of reauthorized or you know I've got children at home who have who missed an entire term of school while they're kind of you know while they're just fiddling around and waiting to I think we you know we said before before we started recording that the um, the, the scientists and the ministers stand in front of a graph at these ten Downing Street press mm. briefings and you can see behind them there's a picture of a bell curve and we've gone up the hill and we're right down at base camp and they say we think we're past the peak. And the guy doing the uh, sign language can't believe it. You look at his facial expressions and it says it all. He's appalled. Uh, so Yes, you know, we're virtually below sea level now if we're, we're, we're that well, much past the peak. Well, actually, yeah, I mean, it's funny enough, the... the um, the, the, the government also uh, publishes a report on excess mortality and the one that came out yesterday, we're right back to normal levels again. Mm. We're, we're, back, we're back to the kind of the, um, the, you know, the seasonal adjusted averages. It's basically the end of the affair, done and dusted, but still, my kids are not at school and I'm pretty angry about it. Tell me about this, um, the, the second, what's it called? The, the, the second the, wave. The second this? wave, yes. Oh, God. Will there, will there be one, you mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess by definition, if you squash a sombrero and then you stop sitting when you stand up, I guess it would, I guess you'd expect the sombrero to regain its shape to some extent. So we've done a pretty enormous uh, intervention keeping people in their homes. So if there is some mild bounce back while the first wave completes itself, I wouldn't be enormously surprised. But I also wouldn't be surprised at all. I'm not the guy to ask in that it's really a question for an immunologist or a virologist, but these these respiratory viral diseases, they tend to go away in summer when we're all getting lots of vitamin D and we're spending much more time outside, and then they come back in winter. I mean, that is kind of what they do until there's enough uh, immunity we've all built. I don't want to say herd immunity because it's kind no. of a trigger word for some people and a safe word for others. Mm. But until we've all had enough of it going around our system, it seems that you get the summer off and then... Uh, I mean, one one criticism I think we can make is that if if we were going to allow the virus to kind of go through our community while the vulnerable are shielded, it would have been a damn good time to do it when the weather's nice. Because if we have this overlapping with flu season, it could be nasty. But actually looking looking at the um, reports that came out earlier this week, it, it sounds like the virus has been among us for months longer, or at least weeks, if not months longer. Mm. And thanks to all the public spirited uh, people going skiing over half term, we've had we've had it seeded so much in this country. It's it's likely completed its cycle, I would imagine. It, you know, it's a, it, it's a damn shame that I don't have enough money yet. Obviously, this will change when when my Patreon takes off to to go and do my bit for the country mm. by having skiing holidays in Italy. Take one for the team. That, that, God, that, the nobility. Yeah. Of those people, it's altruism. Yeah, yeah. Damn, damn. I could have, I could have, I could have run a George Cross. I mean, the, did you see that proposal? There's a, I, oh I, no! I, it's a mad world. My, my latest column is "It's a Mad World." My masters, but the insanity that we've been experiencing. I think we've had more insanity condensed into the last three months than in, in the, the entirety of my life. Yeah. Put together, the proposal, for example, that the the, the National Health Service. The failing sclerotic Stalinist system that is not an embarrassment to the world. Yeah, I mean, respect to the doctors and nurses, but not not to the kind of administrative staff. Mm. Um, that this should get the George Cross. 
Well, it's bananas. I mean, they, they, some of them got their little care badge from Hancock, didn't they? Do you remember that? It was a little kind of thing you pin on did your they? lapel. Oh, they didn't. Uh, what did it say? Care? It says care. Yeah, I'll, I'll, send you the, I'll send you the image. It's quite something. I think that story sank without trace. I think it was mocked quite. But I, I, at the moment, I'm not sure. I think we kneel on one day, we have to clap on another. I think we'll be doing you know, head, hands, shoulders, knees and toes before very long. <laughs> We probably will. Yeah. And that's the kind of mental, the, the, the intellectual level, I think, yeah. head, shoulders, knees and yeah. toes and wheels on the bus going round, <laughs> round, round. Um, I noticed something the other day. Um, I, you, probably, you probably haven't written about this, but it, it, the thought occurred to me. I was driving t- to the petrol station and I was looking at the looking at these signs saying we salute our glorious, heroic tractor-producing NHS workers mm. uh, with with rainbows and stuff. All this stuff has been pre-printed um, professionally. And it, it's obviously not the, the individual garage owner that's done. The, the, presumably, this was part of the plan. Because you see it everywhere. You see on shops and, and outside towns and stuff, you see NHS flags. Mm. Presumably, the government's propaganda department started producing this this stuff this material to sow this idea in the it's it's a bit like kind of female yak pilots in the soviet union in in the war you know that 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 we're being fed a propaganda line everywhere we go Hmm. do do you know where this came from i've got no idea in fact uh you didn't on even my, notice, you didn't even have any thought about it. On, on the drive on the way here, a, fr- a friend uh, phoned me to say that there's bunting saying, thank you, NHS, yeah. all the way up Oxford Street today. Uh, I don't know, I, I, if, if, I, if, I can, if we rewind, you have to kind of look at the past through the eyes of the past. And back in March, I've, I've got lots of friends who are doctors, and I thought, God, it looked like there was a tsunami approaching. I mean, yeah. they were really fearful. And you know, they didn't know what we now know. And they were looking at the pictures from Bergamo and from Wuhan. Yeah, They were absolutely petrified. And I thought, God, you know, these guys are really brave. I was out there clapping the first couple of times. I thought, fantastic. You, I know. You listen, COVID I anymore. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the miserable guy who doesn't now. But, right. but what's bizarre is this sort of performative, uh, you know, cultist love of the NHS now, which means you can't look at it objectively. Whereas, actually, I mean, I, I think the carers, the doctors, the nurses, fantastic, you know. But the actual institution of the NHS does not seem to have had a brilliant war, kind of overseen by PHE, whereas the German system has had an absolutely brilliant war where they've got structural overcapacity because it's insurance funded. They've got ventilators coming out their ears uh, and they've also, you know, they focus early on on when there's testing, it's testing to make sure that, uh, you know, the infected aren't seeding care homes. And they've actually got a system where the insurers are actually paid for each night that someone's kept in their hospital bed. So the last thing they want is to discharge them. But rather than looking clear-eyed at another health system and thinking, what did they get right? What did we get wrong? You know, we're so, we, we've got such kind of group love for the NHS. I don't think people will look at it in a, in a clear-eyed way now. And it's counterproductive, I'd say. There is, of course, another reason, reason why the Germans have had a good war. It's their national sport. <laughs> 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 Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't resist yeah, that they, one. Do you? We've lost some Germans. Alistair, no, 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 no. They don't. No, no, Germans love bloody love this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got loads of German. Yeah. Germany, German Germans love me. Good. Seriously. Well, and they're probably a bit sore today, having lost their faulty towers. Uh, I. Do you know what I'm doing at the moment? It just, just for my German German listeners, I am actually learning Erlkönig 
wer reitet so spät durch Nacht und Wind? Um, wow. I, but but I, I've got to get one of my German friends to take me through the pronunciation because my German is shit. I, I, I sort of pronounce it like a kind of, like somebody impersonating a Nazi might do. And actually it's a much more beautiful <laughs> language than that. Um, it is lovely. But, but yeah, yeah. So I've done, I've done um, by way of digression, I've done Labatros um, by Baudelaire. Um, so I, I've, I've got French covered. And yeah, is this commercially available? No, 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 no. Actually, do you know what I'm going to do? Um, when when I'm sort of freer, um, I'm going to make a series. Actually, Mark Stein does this already on his on his kind of um, the, the the Mark Stein website. Uh, you get him talking about poetry, and I want to do the same. I want to um, maybe make short films of me maybe researching the poetry or maybe that would be an awful thing but talking about about poems for example an obvious one would be to go to stoke poge's graveyard where where um gray's elegy is set mm -hmm. and just talk about why the poem why that poem is is probably the greatest in the english language why it matters so much why 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 it's so so quoted and and why why you know it speaks to people mm. and do, do a series you know so you, you might go to adelstrop to see where Edward Thomas was to in, inspired to write his poem, and I, I think that might be nice. It, yeah. and, and it also, although I, I, part of me doesn't give a shit anymore about what what the other the nasty people think about me. At the same time, it's always quite a good thing to to show that you've got hinterland, to show that because I think mm. the left would love to caricature people like me as being just pure evil and 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 purely obsessed with politics, which I'm so not. Yeah. Um you know, I sort of fell into politics just because the times have the lunacy of the times has demanded it, but it's not a kind of I don't well actually that's a lie. I, I probably do wake up and and eat, breathe and sleep politics but i don't i don't just you know i do have other interests but you're I'm no saying. redneck are you i mean you're no god no in fact vox vox day said this to me uh, um do you know have you come across i vox haven't day? no no do you know do you know who of him at all no. Never, no okay so vox day is is a is a, a rum cove i mean he's he's very far down the rabbit hole he's he's beyond red pilled into sort of black pill status and, and he, he calls himself voice of god no, no, Vox Day, uh, no, uh, uh, no, uh, not not Vox Day. Oh no, okay, Vox, right, right. Vox Day. Um, he's, I think, he's got Red Indian blood in him. Uh, maybe he's oh, completely okay. Red Indian. He lives in Switzerland, and um, he has a, a a website thing that I'm I'm I've just joined called Uncensored, I think. Um, and he's very good at fighting the culture wars. And I was I was saying, look, look Vox, um, do you. I think I'm really quite reasonable. I I don't think I'm a guy. I'm a kind of rabid, rabid rightist by any stretch. I you know I mean I kind of love the Jews, uh, very pro-Israel. Um, you know I what else? I mean I believe in limited government, mm. low taxes, freedom. You know where where's my nasty bit in me? The where where's the where's the evil evil bit in me? And he said no. He said actually I I would say that you're really quite safe on the scheme of things i think he, he sort of meant it half as an insult but 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 it's it's absolutely true but he but he but then went on to make make the point that it doesn't matter as far as the left is concerned they will turn even your mildness into into something that is evil and to be destroyed no one is safe anymore hmm. and i think it's probably true they love their narrative 
so what's bizarre on this is, I mean, I don't regard myself as as, as right of centre even, really. To well, no, didn't you vote Remain? I voted Remain, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I've, I think I've voted for four different parties so far uh, in my time. You haven't voted Green? I've never voted Green, no. I haven't, I haven't sunk that low. No. Uh, but no, I voted, I was 52-48 myself on Remain, you know, I could see the arguments both ways. And yeah. I, think, I think of myself as very, very centrist. But what's bizarre is any... Um, any scepticism or any scrutiny of the official party line on this current uh, epidemic, any scrutiny of the numbers which is actually published by the government every day, you know, I've had lots of people on Twitter saying, oh, you would say that, you're some right-winger. And I think, you don't, you don't know anything about me. You know, why, why would you automatically assume someone's right-wing because they're applying, applying some kind of scrutiny some, and just not bleakly accepting meekly accepting whatever you're, well, that, you're told. It's bizarre, really. How do you think it breaks down um, the the political makeup of people who are... What, what would you call people like us? We're, we're COVID sceptics, lockdown sceptics. Yeah, I guess... I, lib, libertarian is maybe putting it a bit strong. I just want to be allowed out of my damn house and get my kids back to school. I, mean, I think I've set the bar pretty low. Yes. Uh, but do, what I mean yeah, is, do you think there's a correlation lock, between... sceptics. Yeah. Is there a correlation between people's politics on other issues and their their scepticism about this would you say well it seems to be doesn't there i mean if everybody uh, at least on on the social media everybody who's applying any scrutiny everyone who's kind of jumping up and down saying you know for god's sake we're being spun a line here the economy can't survive you know you're killing far more people than you're saving with lockdown anyone who's saying those things seems to be entrepreneurs feature pretty pretty well you know yep. osmond and luke johnson are banging the drum all the time uh, and, you know, to the extent that any of the press uh, are, you know, tr- trying to say, you know, we need, we need to get our kids back to school. It's people like Alison Pearson from The Telegraph. I can't see anyone uh, in the you know, left of centre who's doing anything apart from just kind of nodding meekly while we stay locked in our houses. And I mean, have we ever needed more scrutiny? You know, the cabinet seems to have no ability to influence what the quad's doing. Uh, and Keir Starmer is, as far as I can see, he's basically twiddling his thumb and making loyally points, trying to save up political capital yes. for later and he waiting doesn't. for the opinion polls to change underneath him. But he's not banging the table and saying, hang on, you're saying X, but the data says Y. He's, he's, absolutely, no, he's absolutely useless. You raise a good point there. Isn't one of the most, no, one of the many disappointing aspects of this pandemic, whatever, that we've got these these daily meetings, the daily briefings, mm. where these spokesmen for the government are are supposed to be held to account by our fearless media. And every time, our media has been asking completely the wrong correct questions. <sighs> totally. Unbelievable. And they've got, they've actually got the chief science officer, the chief medical officer there. They can actually ask them the things that, you know, once you peel the top of the story back, the really interesting questions are things like, you know, why are you checking for antibodies? You know, what what's the other parts that may be a much more useful part of the uh, of the story? You know, how can contact tracing possibly work if the ONS says that 80% of people don't have any symptoms? How can you possibly expect to control this? You know, no one's asking the most basic questions that, I mean, you and I can teach, you know, we could teach young children why contact tracing couldn't work, just mm. using marbles in marbles in bowls and say, you know, you can you can see that was an absolute turkey. And day after day, they're saying this is our great hope to let us out of lockdown. Well, so, just explain briefly why contact tracing. Why is... contact tracing can't can't work? Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, so, well, it, if if this was if this was something where everybody who gets ill has has symptoms, mm. uh, and you can get to them all, you know, during the period uh, while they're while they're infectious, contact tracing as a concept can work and does work, and you know, works all the time for ep- for epidemic. But the absolute devil on this particular disease is that it sounds like about eighty percent of people have no symptoms, uh, but they are still infectious. So even if you know if you if you if if you just work through num if you just work through numbers very very simply, even by the time you've collared one symptomatic guy to contact trace, you know at least another and maybe three or four others have already slipped through the net, and meanwhile with whatever our number is, you know they've already multiplied up to ten ten people five days later while you're fiddling around trying to get this one person you've collared, and then you've got about a thirty percent chance of the test coming up. Uh, negative, even though they are actually positive. Yep. And then once they've done that, he's got to try and recall which contacts. You've got to try and get hold of those contacts. It sounds like about 20% of those slip through the net. Then those people have got to actually comply. And it sounds like about 8 out of 10 say they will, but will they really? You know, if it means missing another fortnight of school each time, if you're self-employed, missing another fortnight of work. Is this, was this ever actually worked through? I mean, I think... In a, in a few sentences, you can see why it just won't work if this many people are asymptomatic. Mm. I mean, it's not like SARS where, you know, it's really symptomatic if you have it. It's really obvious. So, you you know, you, you put the ill away. You find the other people who, who are ill. You, you, you don't have anyone slipping through the net, really, the way the way SARS worked. Mm. Or, you know, in Ebola or something, you make kind of just a ring around the village uh, and you make sure, you know, you, you do the contact tracing properly there but by the time we've got tens of thousands of cases in the uk we're chasing our tail it should never have made it off the whiteboard so here's something that puzzles me um we're civilians okay we're 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 informed civilians but um we've formed a pretty educated and very supportable view that the the, the virus has done its worst, mm-hmm. um, that the lockdown was a waste of time, um, that this is no worse than bad seasonal flu, that the economic damage that's being done is enormous, that lots of people are dying and will die unnecessarily because of the lockdown and that we're storing up a whole heap of trouble. This is, this is a given. I don't think any intelligent, informed person would think otherwise. So why... Is the government still acting as if none of this is true? Oh gosh, that's a really good question, and it's probably a better question for some, for you know, for for a political analyst. I just feel as though they've got themselves in so deep now. This story has sort of fed on itself. They've got everyone absolutely petrified. So if you, you know, if, if the opinion polls, people love the lockdown now. Yeah, you know, you've got the furloughed at home who are pretty much fully paid to do absolutely no work and they've saved all the money they spend commuting uh and people you know it's people people are in the middle of a you know box set horror movie and they've got themselves petrified now and i think the problem is we've basically elected a government who's governing by opinion poll yeah you know even though the election is four and a half years away i mean if the election was six months away then yeah do what the opinion polls tell you but if it's that far away i mean this is the time to actually govern not just to look at opinion polls uh, and then just 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 enact it because then you're not actually a government. You know, yep. you're an administration, and you, we actually elect these guys to, you know, to sit around a table with the scientists and say, look, you said X. It actually looks much more like Y. We can't afford this damage, and in fact, you know, we're going to have more of a problem in four and a half years' time if we carry on with this now than if we just 
rip the plaster off and you know have a short-term pain and uh, but you know lift the furlough you reinstitute um truancy and get the kids back to school basically yeah that would be if if you were really brave that's what johnson would do you know he'd realize that we're we're back like you say we're base, back at base camp and it's time to get the country moving again but it's not just a question of bravery although i do agree with you there that they've they've dug themselves in this hole and, and they're having trouble getting out of it but also it's about honesty isn't it I mean, if you've made a huge, huge mistake, you have two options. Yeah. Either you fess up and start remedying the damage you've done, mm. or you go through this charade where, where you, 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 you uh, continue with the lie and, and go through this elaborate pretense that, that it's still a problem. Mm. And and you go through this this charade, and you force the the country to participate with you in this charade, this business where the two meter rule and stuff. Even oh, they, God, do you think do, do you think they know? Do you, do, <laughs> the WHO know? I mean, I, I've I, I've got absolutely no idea why we've got a world where the WHO says a meter. You know, we have people uh, who've been back in pubs oh, yeah, in, but- in Copenhagen for six weeks. Uh, no one's keeling over dead, and we've still got two meters. It's absolutely bananas. Oh, but yeah, uh, you, but I think you're even you're you're conceding too much ground to the enemy, even with that what with that one oh, meter okay, thing. Right, right. You know, no, my question was actually, do you think the government know that it's all a complete sham? I would imagine. Well, I think from what I hear, a lot of people on the back benches are really saying, "Hang on a second, you know, if we rewind, was was hand washing enough? You know, was just people being just." Just you've got, a, you've got a scary story out there, so people automatically adjust their behaviour a bit, you know. And it just looks like we're on the same curve as Sweden. Uh, and when you look over to other countries, they must be they must be thinking, hang on, never mind how the electorate's going to judge us, how the history books going to judge us, because there will be history books to fill a shelf written about this. But do, you, do they want a chapter to themselves? But I don't think they care about the history books. I think they just mm. care about the short term. But I think they care about the inquiry as well. That's for sure, you know. And uh, but but yeah, but they're gonna they're gonna choose somebody who's they're not gonna choose Jonathan Sumption to, sure. to they're not gonna choose him they're not gonna choose you uh, no. they're gonna choose Lord Lord Biddable of yeah. of Wank yeah. and and Lord <laughs> Biddable of Wank is gonna is gonna find that yes well mistakes were made but it was in the context of the blah 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 it was understandable and they I mean it amazes me that the main thing that that um, what's that cranky woman in Scotland called um, Sturgeon? Sturgeon. That and 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 the the kind of the leftist media, you know, people like the Mirror and so on. Mm. The main thing they're trying to pin on the government is you should have put the lockdown, started the lockdown early. I mean, if that's there are so many more. Uh, Ac- uh, more, more um, stronger criticisms you can make about the government's policy. Oh yeah. So, so many more on-point criticisms you can make than they should have started early. What does that? Who cares about that? It's where we are now. Mm. The, lo- the lockdown coming in earlier would have made no difference. Mm. I mean, if you, if you want, with the benefit of total hindsight, you know what we could have done is actually close the airports in sort of mid-January because it sounds like most of our cases were seeded from. Spain and Italy and France in that in yeah. that half term, but you know who, who could have possibly known that? I don't think the government would be hung on that. But what the inquiry I think will focus on is the care homes, because you know unlike other countries, we were actually 
discharging knowingly positive cases into a care home. So you, you've got a Petri dish, we were dropping germs onto that Petri dish, and that isn't, it's a scandal, and you know, the, the numbers are petrifying, well not petrifying, they're scandalous, in that in, in England and Wales, 37% of the deaths are care home residents, mm. that's 0.6% of our population. Now they are older and frailer anyway, so you would expect them to be very, very disproportionate, but not that disproportionate. I mean, we've actively, I think, pushed the infection levels in care homes well above what they uh, should have been. And I think a couple of weeks ago in Scotland, I think over 60% of people dying were in were actually dying in care homes. Yeah. So the the care home scandal will be a massive chapter in the uh, in the Royal Commission that must be coming down the tracks. Yes. But you're right. By the by the by the time that it'll, it'll be some biddable biddable lord, it'll be ten years later. Yeah. And they can say, be. oh, we did the same as France, the same as Spain, the same as Italy, and because we did the same as the people who haven't done very well, you know, you get the, you get the group think and. The, you can't be shouted at. It's just the same as in investments. You know, if you do the same as the next guy and you end up with the same track record as the yes. next guy, you don't get shouted at. If you're the maverick who thinks he's seen the opportunity, if you get it wrong, then you're absolutely screwed. Yes, absolutely. You look right. a hero if it works, but you're absolutely screwed if it doesn't. Yes, there's, 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 yeah. Who, who wants to be that ballsy? Yeah, mm. yeah. It's like the Big Short, isn't it? It's like the Big Short. Yeah, and it's it just you know, it's it really is like the Big Short in that. Um, you know, they had the data. They knew, for sh- the guys who really profited off it, it, they didn't think they were taking a judgment. They said, this is, a, this is a one-way bet. You know, they had all the information. They did the data better than everyone else. And it was a one-way bet, and it came off. Yeah, but, but, you, but even then, the, 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 the investors in their, in their short funds were saying, I'm pulling out, you know. This, oh, this yeah. Is- yeah, they lost, they lost the nerve. Actually, what this, the, the, the situation it really reminds me of is uh, back in 98, there was another hedge fund called Long-Term Capital Management. And I'd been working in the city for about a year. So I had a, a front row seat. I was working Canary Wharf and everything when this this hedge fund blew up and it really nearly took down the world financial system because something had happened that everyone thought was impossible, which was a, com- a, 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 com- a country defaulting on debt in its own currency. But anyway. What was that? Argentina? Long, uh, it was, no, Russia. Russia. Russia, Russia defaulted. Oh, that's right, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it blew, it blew up all the other emerging markets. But it's, it's such a similar situation that it was, it was, it was too clever an idea to fail. It was run by two Nobel Prize winners. It had the best models, and everyone said, "God, they, these guys are so good at modelling." And and then it turns out, well, they got the most simple thing wrong. They thought that one thing would always move against another, and it turns out both things went downwards. So it's 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 what it is is expert failure. And in fact, I saw Steve Baker, who's an MP, who's had a fan, I think a fantastic war. He's he, about the only one that has one of the very very few. Him and Lucy Allen um, yeah. and. David Davis, to a degree. Um, he's, he's come and gone a bit, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he has a bit. Yeah. A lot of them are kind of hedging their bets. Yeah, David Davis was, was very good putting his head above the parapet um, when uh, it became clear that Neil Ferguson's model was just not worth the paper it was printed on. I think he got involved in that story. So, he had, But he's, got, he's gone quite masky recently, I think. He's quite pro-mask. I'm not, oh, I'm not a huge no. mask guy. Well, you see, again, what's completely put me... I, I used to be a fan of Dominic Cummings. Hmm. I thought he was going to keep Boris honest, but we've seen him, his championing of this quarantine thing. Yeah. It sounds like he was an observer in a meeting where, you know, Ferg, if in the, sage, the sage minutes are quite amazing. And, you know, hats off to Simon Dolan for making sure we can actually read them. Yes. Uh, but it's quite clear the change in tone in the sage minutes before and after Ferguson presented that scary number of, I think it was half a million UK deaths, uh, which... I mean, that's a bit of a stretch. That's twice what Spanish flu killed in the UK, and that's before we had antibiotics. So that's a, that's a stretch number. But it really sounds like maybe he was in the room and, you know, 
Oxbridge Duffer arts background, heard a huge number, got scared. Uh, but what's bizarre is coming, you read Cummings' blog and you think, this is fantastic. You know, he's going to make sure there's scrutiny, there's red teams yeah, to attack yeah. the group think. Uh, you know, he's going to have super, super forecasters as well as the experts. I yeah. read all that and I mean, I thought this is, this is fantastic. And this, all of that stuff would have actually saved us. But then you read the minutes of the SAGE meetings, there was no red team, there was no scrutiny, there was no challenge. It's very clear that you know, just the gravity of a really bad story presented by someone who's very articulate ended up swaying them. Uh, they didn't have any kind of out-of-domain experts, you know, who were just good with numbers, good with analysis, saying, hang on, does that make sense? Can that be right? You yes. know, all the things that we look forward to when um, Cummings got involved, they just seemed to go out of the window at the most important time. What amazes me, although it shouldn't, because you've read Watermelons and it's all about the same thing, is given the track record of Neil Ferguson, given his record going right back to the 2001 foot and mouth epidemic where he got it completely wrong mm. and he, his bad, bad advice resulted in the slaughter of, what, six million plus healthy animals yeah. whatever but this ring ring fencing policy or something it was just disastrous just a mass slaughter um he's you know he's 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 if he'd been in the private sector he'd have been sacked long ago as a kind of useless git but this was their go-to guy why did nobody look at his record and think well are we sure this guy's kosher it's totally bizarre james because you know it's I think, I think what it is, is if you're an epidemiologist on SAGE, you've got no skin in the game, really, unless you, unless you underguess. So you've got a completely asymmetric uh, incentive in that if you, you know, I, I read a paper of Neil Ferguson's about BSE. Do you remember the, the uh, human variant? Yes, uh, it, was gonna kill, it, it was going to kill us all. I, was gonna kill, I, I read the paper where he revised his estimate down from half a million to, I think, 136,000. You know, I, I think I didn't eat burgers for a few years because of that. Yes. Burger, and I'd never forgiven him for that. I think it still hasn't killed a thousand people in the UK, BSE. You know, avian flu, like you say, swine flu, foot and mouth. Time after time, he has guessed super high. And then I mean, how, how can you be wrong if you do that? If you guess super low and more people die, you know, it was because of you that so many died, you lose your job. If you mm. guess super high and it comes in low, oh, you know, it's the data wasn't clear. The parameters weren't clear or... What's going to happen this time? We can already see the story forming. Because of our prompt action, we stopped you know, half a million they've, people dying. The, the story is the, exactly they have. They've, yeah. actually, they've actually said this. Yeah. They are that brazen. It's incredible. It's as, if, it's, as if, you know, it's as if Sweden doesn't exist. It's as if you couldn't see what is happening in, in Tokyo or Japan or Belarus. But to be fair, th th it's not actually an unreasonable assumption. That, that most people won't, they're not going to get found out. Hmm. Because look at the way it's been covered in the media. Yeah. I, this is one of the most pu puzzling things about this this whole weird, weirdness. Hmm. Um, we, we touched on this earlier when we talked about the questions not being asked by the press in these, these meetings, the hmm. government ministers and, and scientists not being held to account. If you look at the reporting on this shamdemic, hmm. in everywhere from from the the Daily Mirror to the the conservative papers like the the, the Telegraph and the the Mail, what you find is that they've been really pushing the government's propaganda narrative. This is a very serious business. Mm. Uh, we don't want to jeopardise our NHS. Um, this is a serious disease. Uh, look at these numbers. Mm. 
But how do you explain that? that there's been no there's been no critical thinking at all. Well, I think for some of them, they don't want to lose they don't want to lose access. So if you make things too awkward for the government, you'd probably lose access. Uh, but I mean, frankly, you know, if if it bleeds, it leads. You know, it's it, the fear is such a fantastic story. Uh, there's sort of a human element for people who have actually lost relatives, uh, and it's just it's just sort of so fun to be petrified, isn't it? We all watch horror movies. And the story, this is the ultimate horror movie we're all in. And I think it's basically what their readers want. Yes. Um, it's also, there's so many different bits that they can have a snipe at the government and see, you know, see these, see the ministers squirming at the press conferences where the different bits, are, you know, the different critiques are put to them. Um, but they, I did, they, they just don't seem to want to engage with the, with the kind of the guts of it, which is that, is this actually just a completely different story than we were originally told? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not... I haven't managed to see much agenda behind it personally, uh, apart from I'm just not sure that some of them are numerate enough, basically, to have seen through, seen you know, seen through the story. Yes, but let me ask you because um, because you're reading watermelons at the moment. Um, what 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 what? It's, it's a while since I looked at the book. But what, what what parallels have you noticed? What 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 have you been? Were you were you a climate skeptic before you read the book? By the way. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a skeptic about everything in life. I mean, if you, it's become as a tick after a while that if you if you if you say a number, uh, it, after a while you can't help thinking, hang on, what's that number in the context of this? Or, you know, like the recent story um, with uh, you know the police uh, white police brutality against mm. blacks in America. My absolute instinct is immediately to say, okay, well, hang on, how many white people are killed by white policemen in America? Is it different if they're armed? Uh, you know, just always wanting to put con- context. Mm. Um, on, on, on watermelons, I guess one thing that's really clear is the way that the academy closes in on itself. Yeah. So the moment there's any scrutiny from outside the system, you're rounded on, you know, how can this guy say this? He's not, you know, he's, why should I take him seriously? It's not in a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, and uh, I think that's that's a that's a huge parallel, and like I, like I think like we said maybe a half an hour ago, it's it's starting with a prior assumption, and that that prior assumption creates so much gravity that the scientists just cannot get get it they can't get past its event horizon, you know they're constantly dragged back to this idea lockdowns must work because it's common sense, but actually I'm just not I, these viruses don't make sense. I mean you can fit a hundred billion viruses on a full stop, uh, you know these things are unimaginably tiny. And they live. We've got loads living in us, apparently. Yeah, we, so, we've got bacteria. Dolores, the bacteria Cahill. in your tummy have viruses that attack them. Your, uh, you know, your gut has viruses on the lining, so that bacteria can't get through your gut. I mean, it's, the whole thing is absolutely fascinating. But I think the human brain is just not really built to work uh, the common sense and the reality of a virus and the and the maths of an epidemic. It's not something that's intuitive at all. But I think I think what it is is they started with this prior assumption and they've never got around the idea of being able to just look at the data and say, hey, let's imagine we didn't have that prior assumption. Would the data make sense? I don't think they've really done that. No. We were talking earlier um, on our walk about um, a friend of my, my wife's who lives in your, your fair city. Mm-hmm. Um, and she believes all this shit you know she's 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 invested in in covid-19 being a mm. being a serious problem um and i think she'd be horrified to think that that it was no worse than than bad flu you know yeah. she, because she's she's experienced you know several friends have had it and it's really really bad and yeah, they yeah. and and they've they've been really really ill but you made the point so well that 
There's no such thing as just flu. Flu is a serious bad shit thing to happen to you and you feel it and it knocks you sideways. Yeah. But because but when somebody has flu, but dose of flu, they don't go and tell all their friends and it doesn't get round to, you know, oh, so-and-so's had flu. Yeah. But this one, because we've given it a name and because it's in the news all the time, mm. suddenly if you get this thing, isn't it something to do with our culture of victimhood? That we, that we, victimhood confers power and importance on you. Yeah, you've, but also it's got a, such a great brand name, COVID-19. Mm. I mean, if it was sort of called H5N3 or something, you wouldn't, you know. I had swine flu in 2009. That yeah. bloody nearly killed me. That was horrendous. But swine flu, you don't found, sound very alpha male going around. You've, you, you, you're making it sound like you've had some kind of pig virus. But I think the, the, what a huge failing is allowing just flu to become to become a thing because there is there's no just about it. It really doesn't seem to be um, affecting children or, or, or young people or people with, you know, healthy immune systems or people without um, serious pre-existing conditions, which when they die, you know, we call comorbidities. But, you know, if you're, if you're under 40, uh, effectively, the risk of getting COVID is completely ignorable. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got more chance of being hit by lightning than you have of dying with COVID. You know, if you're under 60, you've got way more chance of drowning. Uh, and regardless of your age, unless you're already very ill, you've got way more chance of dying on the roads, about a 50% greater chance of dying on the roads. The thing I would, I would be keen to know, although I think I know the answer already, is where, how it relates to your chances of being killed by a shark. Well, I haven't got that number off the top of my head. I think the chance of being killed by a shark is roughly nil, isn't it? I uh, think, I think the International Shark Research Files say that there are roughly five deaths by shark per year. So within a rounding error, that's nothing, isn't it, basically? It does remind me of the fact that when they brought Jaws out, you know, that saved huge numbers of lives, the Jaws movie, because people didn't go swimming so they didn't drown. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 one of those counterintuitive things, like, you know, after 9-11... People didn't fly because they were so f- scared. So loads more died on the roads. Loads more died on the roads, yeah. And this is this is of a piece with, you know, you you have Matt Hancock in front of a lectern with hazards, hazard signs all around it saying, stay safe, you know, protect the NHS, stay home. What happens is that people ignore the tight chest, the funny numb arm, the dizzy spell, and they die at home. So, you know, we basically uh, shut down the NHS and everyone's died at home to protect it. Yeah, yeah. I um I think you, I think you, you were the first person to say that... Th- Weren't you about the about the chances of being struck by lightning uh, versus the? Uh, well, I was definitely definitely one of them. Uh, I think Luke Johnson made the point about the drowning as well on uh, Question Time. He kind of baited baited he, Fiona Bruce a bit with. Oh, uh, I bet he got shit time from the audience, did he? I don't watch Question Time. I, I don't either. I saw the, I saw the clip and it looked a little. He looked like a kind of a lion in a den of Daniels. Yeah, yeah. He looked, it looked a pretty. It, he was pretty brave to go on there, but you know, good for him for putting his head above the parapet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this is this is this is all of a piece. People see a number; it's scary if you don't put it in context. Mm. The moment you put it in context, then you think, "Oh, hang on! Well, every every winter we go about life completely normally with influenza that kills twenty thousand people a year. You never read about it. Mm. But as soon, as soon as you say COVID's killed fifty thousand people, you think, "Jesus Christ! Fifty thousand people! Yeah, that sounds not, horrendous. That's the you know, that's a decent sized town. That's like the number that were killed in the in the Blitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. But, um, you mentioned in your critic piece um, how important comorbidities are in in most fatal 
COVID-19 cases. Mm -hmm. So I think you mentioned that a, a quarter of them, quarter, have dementia. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So the NHS England stats, oh, so this is people dying in hospitals in England, over a quarter uh, have dementia. Uh, I think actually, was it, I think it's about a fifth have dementia, about a quarter have uh, diabetes, about a sixth each have kidney or uh, you know serious lung disease. Mm. Um, but the people, so ninety five percent of people who are dying have got um, comorbidities, and that doesn't mean just like a background illness. That means something that will be a cause of. They're death. well on their way out already. They're very they're very uh, poorly people, uh, and in fact, they haven't just got one of these things. So the ONS came out with some statistics a few weeks ago, and the average person who dies has got a two and a half comorbidities. You can't have half a comorbidity, oh. but on average, someone's got two and a half comorbidities and is aged over 80. And that tallies with the Italian data as well, where the average age of death is 81 and people had three serious illnesses that would be a cause of death. So, I mean, every life is precious, but you have to at some point acknowledge this is predominantly knocking over people who are very old and very this, old. This, it seems to me that this is a, a point that is not often discussed honestly because we are squeamish about death. I mean, you look at you look at how the Victorians treated death. I mean, death was so common; they mm. they lost so many children, which is why they had to breed so so many. But it was very much that they understood that death was death was an intimate part of their lives and the mm. ceremony and the the mourning and, and and so on. And now we're so remote from death that any death seems to strike us as a kind of an anomaly uh, some terrible thing that really shouldn't have happened and, we, and and it should have been prevented but i've i've reached that stage in life where you start having um your parents generation start popping off and you mm. you you have uh, i've had two relatives recently in the, in the last year die and one of them one of them had dementia and i have to say in all honesty that anyone who is has got a dementia suffering that some with somebody with severe dementia when they die it's an absolute blessing for all parties this idea that somehow it's it's a nice thing say 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 you're the say you're the spouse hmm. of a dementia sufferer and your dementia sufferer is in a care home completely lost his marbles doesn't doesn't know who you are um is incontinent is is essentially a, a, a kind of living a living vegetable eating up god knows how many thousands of pounds a, a week of your of your your money as maybe you've got a few you know maybe you're the wife and you're healthy and your life savings are being just eaten up by this vegetable mm. you're not thinking Oh, if only this. If only he could live forever. If 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 COVID nineteen has has helped save the, the the living from the from the from the living dead, I think that's a damn good thing. And I think we are dishonest if we pretend otherwise. Yeah, well, the the, uh, the people who do put it in context are generally the old. You know, they will say, "God, if anyone's going to get it, I hope it's me, not my grandson." I mean, it's predominantly the, the elderly people are, who, are, who, who aren't scared of it, who I've met anyway. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, the, I think of the people who are dying in care homes, I think over 40% of them are dementia sufferers. Yeah. So it is largely, you know, taking, taking the lives of people who would probably be 
close close to death anyway because you, you do tend to go down fairly quickly and in fact i mean we're not grown up enough in this country to accept that in on average a care home is kind of a, a slightly drawn out hospice you it's know, death's think, waiting room isn't it yeah i yeah. think people on average uh when they go to a care home i think on average live two and a half years so we shouldn't kid ourselves that you know it's ta- it's 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 taken twenty years of life off someone. This isn't the same tragedy as, you know, for example, if you go back to a swine flu again, I think eighty percent of people who died in swine flu were aged under sixty. So you, there's been a lot of like active, including almost you, uh, nearly took me. Yeah, uh, that was that was pretty horrific. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's something that some a, a disease that takes the young must be much more scary than a disease that takes the old. And you can't just look, oh, this killed 20,000 people, this killed 21,000. You do also have to put it in the context of who is it taking. So, before we go, how far to the rab- down the rabbit hole do you want to go, Alistair? I mean, how I, do you have any... You, you, you presumably listen to my Dolores Cahill oh, podcast. Yes. I mean, there's there's some dodgy shit going on, isn't there? Even if, you, even if you're not... You, even, I'm not David Icke. Yeah. But I, have, but I, I, I'm going to get on this. I'm going to get on the on the podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more in tune with David Icke as, as time goes by. The WHO, Doctor Fauci, this, this, China. Yeah, some there's there's some interesting uh, there's some interesting stones to look under. That is for sure. I mean, the WHO has had a pretty a pretty appalling war, really, in that their first instinct was to immediately say, "Hasn't China done an incredible job?" Mm. As opposed to God, you, you, God, you, you gave us that, you know, that DNA profile or RNA profile very quickly. That's, you know, you got that much quicker than we'd have guessed. I mean, one thing is, it's a hell of a coincidence that it starts in the same city that has a Institute of Virology, where they were, you know, looking into, um, not that it was created as a weapon, but they were actually looking into, you know, effectively splicing um, SARS viruses onto something else with a spike protein. As, Matt as, Ridley had as the you story. do. Yeah. As you do. And I think the American, it was actually, I think, the uh, wasn't it University of North Carolina that was working with them. But it is a hell of a coincidence that it happens to be in Wuhan. And it's particularly given that, you know, there's been a couple of SARS uh, escapes from, you know, f- uh, from, from labs. So, you know, if I was the WHO, I think my first instinct would have been in, Hang on, is this uh, is there something else you're not telling us here? Yeah. Because once, as soon as the WHO speaks, it has gravity. The media will swing behind it. YouTube will start censoring videos that don't cleave to the party line, and it it becomes an, it becomes it creates a, a tide you can't swim against. This is the worrying thing, isn't it? That that um, we've got the mainstream media has been pushing the official narrative, barring a few licensed licensed jesters in the form of the of, of, of their right wing columnists like Sherelle Jacobs or whatever, um, who've been who've been fairly robust. Mm. The news pages have not been robust. The newspapers have just been regurgitating propaganda. And yet, if you want to find the counter arguments, you have to A go into the sort of darker, weirder recesses of the internet, you know, sort of obscure places like good old Hector Drummond's site or mm. or my my patron or whatever but but worse you get um facebook and youtube uh, uh, increasingly censoring you for you, you, i mean mentioning hydroxychloroquine for example it's uh, it's quite it's, it's actually scary because you know you have someone like knut uh Witkowski or Witkowski, yeah you know he's a biostatistician you know he's part of the academy you would imagine he puts a very well-reasoned argument 
that this looks like a normal viral respiratory disease, in which case we should, not only should we expect it to do X, but also what we should really do is exactly what Sir Patrick Valance was saying back in March, protect the vulnerable, you know, create a cocoon around them mm. and let it fly through the rest of everyone else. So, you know, but you ignore that view, you can actually create thousands or tens of thousands of deaths. But yeah, how do you find these alternative views? It, it really takes some, it, it takes a lot of finding of the stone that you want to look under. I think it's really quite sinister. And, you know, the, the social media that you'd think would be an alternative to the mainstream media, they're censoring on just the same basis. It's becoming harder and harder to find the rabbit holes you want to go down. Before we go, given, given your job, I know you're not allowed to give financial advice, but nevertheless, you must have noticed that the way the world's changing, mm. there are going to be some opportunities, aren't there? What, what, what do you think is going to be, what's going to be looking up for if you're an investor? Oh, crikey. Yeah, I, I can't give financial advice, but uh, I mean, one thing I would say is we've just had an enforced three-month experiment that you would never normally run, which is, you know, if you'd said, right, what we're going to do, all companies, we're going to put all of your back office at home for three months. It was, it, no one would run that experiment, but we've just no, run wouldn't. it. And, you know, I've got friends who run pretty decent-sized companies, and they've all suddenly realised that, hey, you know, not only does it work absolutely fine, them doing it remotely, but actually they've realised how much they're saving not having to commute into London. So maybe moving, you know, moving particularly back office function out of London, I'd be probably a bit nervous if I was a London office investor. Maybe education as well, you know, the public schools in particular have really got their act together on remote learning. And although I think it's a poor substitute for school, it's probably a fantastic supplement to education. So, you know, um, Zoom has done pretty amazingly. Uh, I think, um, what else? I can't give, I can't give advice. I mean, no, no, all, no, we've no. We've all bought exercise equipment. That's done very well, but that, that ship's probably sailed, I'd imagine. That probably has sailed. My God, if you'd, if you'd gone long waits. <laughs> imagine. You know, funny enough, I said to a friend of mine, you know, oh, we should all buy some Peloton shares as a joke before lockdown. And, and I didn't. And, uh, what, and, and, and nor did he. What have they done? Well, I think well, I haven't followed them recently, but they they absolutely rocketed because everyone thought, oh my God, you know, this is my chance to, you know, I, well, first of all, I'm, I'm not having my gym. So people bought the exercise bikes from home. So if I'd put my money where my mouth is, I, that would have been a good idea. But yeah, but just, just looking at uh, investment largely is kind of just common sense and looking at the world uh, as, as it is rather than the way you thought it should be. And just looking at the impact of this enforced three month experiment and thinking, what will that mean for the different areas of life and who are the companies who provide those services? That, it's not much that's, more that, No, that's, I think that's really good advice. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to persuade my kids of this, that there's actually nothing mysterious about, about investment. Mm. It's actually using your common sense. In fact, mm. in fact sometimes you, when you read the financial um, press, you, you get misinformation. For example, I, I remember thinking a while back, that um, premium tonic was just yeah, yeah. like going to do really well. Mm. And I thought, well, shall I buy some shares in what's it called? Uh, Fever Tree. Fever Tree. Mm. Shall I buy some fat shares in Fever Tree? And um, I, was, I read the experts and they told me that the, um, the P ratio was already just ridiculous. Yeah. And... Uh, from that point, when I when I didn't invest, I think probably their share price doubled. Oh well, or, yeah. But you 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 were buying Bitcoin when it was uh, cheapest I, chips. I I I was buying Bitcoin when it was about three hundred quid. And do you know the terrible oh, the terrible thing was, 
I thought, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit steep, you know, 300, 300 quid. I haven't got much money. We're, we're, we're talking uh, not very long ago when it was that much, but, but I, you know, I'd, I'd lost all my money and I, and, and I hadn't got much to spare. And it was more of a kind of a, a, a gamble. Yeah, but, but you're right. I mean, the, all, my, all my good investments, I, mean, I, I have to do an investment special one day because um, actually people, I, I, I think investment is a, a fascinating subject. Oh, it's, it, it's, it, what's particularly interesting about it actually is that uh, it, although there are quants who make algorithms, fundamentally most investors are humans and so, you know, behave, behavior is such yeah. a humongous impact. It's, it's difficult to model, but it's very easy to kind of just feel in your waters when tides are turning. And, you know, when fear was at the absolute maximum back in uh, April, that would have been a fantastic time to buy the cinema shares and the restaurant shares that everyone else was dumping. It would have been. Well, they uh, say, you know, when there's blood on the floor, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And well, one, one great bit of investment advice that I can give, because it's not mine, is uh, Sir John Templeton said the most expensive words in investing are this time it's different. You know, if only somebody in Sage had put their hand up and said, "Hang on, is this just another of those? Is the, is it different this time?" Uh, we wouldn't be in the pickle we're in. Yeah, I think that's a very good way to end, end it. Um, thank you very much, Alistair Haynes. Thank you. Um, and um, thank you for coming briefly into our world before you retreat back to your world of, of privacy when all this is all over. <laughs> But it's been fantastic to catch up and be be in your bubble. Oh, great! Thanks. Um, right. Oh, oh, yes. And one more thing. Um, I, I think I, I I don't mention this enough at the end of my podcast, and I should. Uh, don't forget to support me on Patreon. You know I'm worth it. Uh, you love me, and I love you. Thank you. Bye.